Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas to you. I'm glad that you're here today. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, glad that you're joining, whether you're joining here in person or online, really glad that you are joining with us today. Uh, our series, I, I don't know about you guys, I love the, the title of our series, To Me, For Me, and uh, it really highlights the kind of Western consumer mentality that we have uh, about this time of year. And my prayer and, and my hope is, is that we as a church would be inspired to try to reverse that trend uh, of the consumerism that we tend to have during this time of year. I'm going to be honest with you, when, when I think about that, um, there are times when I'm, I'm reminded of people who have gone um, on missions trips and, and maybe they have experienced in a different culture uh, maybe what God is doing and they see the people of the different culture and they see how grateful they are for what they have and they come back from the missions trip and they're maybe just a little bit kind of like lecturing the rest of us on like how our Western mind mindset is so like into stuff and and I've been there I've been on missions trips and I've felt that feeling and sensed that but I kind of there's times when I push back against that a little bit I'm like okay wait a minute that's not, you know that is our reality is that where we live and that sort of thing so don't press into that too much but I, I got to be honest with you sometimes it's hard to ignore it, it's hard to ignore the fact that we do live in a very me-centered, selfish kind of society that unfortunately during this great time of year that we should be focused on the beauty of giving. Uh, we're so focused on, the, on, on what we think is the beauty of, of us and me. And, and to highlight that, uh, I did some research in, in leading up to this series and um, the stats are interesting on this. We are a charitable culture. Um, we give, I want you to catch these, we give um, $410 billion per year to charitable organizations. I'm not talking about this church, by the way, okay? That would be amazing, right? It would be amazing, all right? It would be awesome. I love that. No, we, uh, our, our, the U.S., we give, on average, uh, each year, we give $410 billion to charity each year. Does that sound generous to you, $410 billion? Sound generous, doesn't it? You, you can say yes, that's fine. You can talk back to me. I mean, don't talk back to me, but talk with me. Okay, so anyway, uh, you can do that too. Um, but I want you to consider for a second that the uh, National Retail Federation states that the average American will spend an average of $1,047 on Christmas during November and December. And that's on presents and decorations and, you know, uh, food in relation to Christmas, $1,047 per person on Christmas. Um, and and it, they're expecting this year to be quite a bit better than, than last year. And, and they believe that the total spending in the United States of America in retail sales will be $730 billion just for November and December. Does 410 sound so charitable now and so generous? $410 billion we give away, but we spend $730 billion just in two months on ourselves. We do live in a me generation, in a me culture. 
And I hope that, that we can, you know, w without trashing our culture and without like being judgmental against ourselves and our culture, I hope that we can get in our minds that the great gift that God gave us of Jesus Christ uh, and sending his son to this earth to die and to, to, to live and then to die and to raise again, rise again from the dead can prompt us to change this idea of to me from me. And I hope and I pray that we can be people who do our best to take a look at our world, whether it's our personal world or our community or the global world around us and be people who are for others, who approach it from, from me to others. And that's what Jesus did. That's what God did by sending his son in the first place. He was selfless. And in this series, we're taking a look at some different characters that are involved in the Christmas story. And we're considering how they were radically generous in what they gave to the world. And how God used their generosity, their giving, their, their willingness to be available for him to set the stage for the Savior. Last week, we talked about Ruth and how her kindness, God used her kindness to set the stage for the Savior. And she's actually listed in Matthew chapter 1, one of only two women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And the story, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. If you haven't heard that or watch it, you can go online and watch it. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you weren't with us, um, because that is an important important part and her kindness, God used her kindness to benefit the world. And today we're going to be taking a look at one of the characters in the Christmas story that's both prominent and also in the background. He's prominent and also in the background. We're going to be taking a look at Joseph of Nazareth. Now there are three prominent Josephs in the whole story in, in the Bible. There, there are three prominent Josephs in the Bible. There's Joseph, the patriarch of the Old Testament, the son of Jacob, who God used also to set the stage many, many generations prior. And God used him in a remarkable way. And so we have that Joseph. We also have Joseph of Arimathea who gave his burial place for Jesus. And that's where Jesus was buried in his burial place. Who we're talking about today is Joseph of Nazareth, who's the one that's in all of the Christmas stories that we see, and he's there at the manger. This is the earthly dad of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. And I believe his story is maybe sometimes overlooked in the story of Jesus, but it is so incredibly significant, and it is so incredibly important. And today we're gonna look at maybe why this man was chosen to be a part of this great redemptive work, why God chose him in the story and the work of redemption. Now, there's not much mentioned about this man named Joseph in the Bible. In fact, there's never a word spoken by Joseph that the Bible records. He's not mentioned saying anything all throughout scripture. It's talked about quite a bit. Most of it's in Matthew chapter one, which we're gonna take a look at today. He was a descendant of David. He was a carpenter by trade. And, and, and even though there's not much said about him um, uh, there, and, and he doesn't say anything, we can learn a lot about him, particularly from Matthew chapter one. Now, Matthew chapter one has this whole list of the genealogy of the story of Jesus. And I remember as a kid growing up, um, before we had Christmas morning, my dad made us recite the Christmas story from one of the gospel messages. And I always hope 
hoped that we didn't have to do Matthew chapter one because there's no way I could remember all those names. So, and he never did. So that was nice. That was kind of him, merciful of my dad. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter one gets done with the genealogy of Jesus, which is so important in the culture of that day. And it's important in setting the stage for what God was doing. In fact, all four people are loose. One of them are either directly related or indirectly related there that we're talking about during the series. But then he switches gears and Matthew records the events of the birth of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up, but it'll be on the screen today. Matthew chapter one, we'll start with verse 18 and we'll study, last week we studied pretty much a whole book. And uh, this week we're just gonna go through verse 25 um, and we'll do it in little bits, little bite sizes. Matthew chapter one, 18 through 19. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna come back to that phrase, she was found to be with child. I'm gonna come back to that phrase in a moment. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And we're gonna stop there for a minute and we're gonna stop as we read through this passage and take a look at four character qualities of this man by the name of Joseph, four character qualities that he had. And I believe that these were character qualities that God saw and wanted to use in a remarkable way. And it led him to the place where God used him in a really amazing way, right? So, so we're gonna take a look at these four different character qualities of Joseph. And I think we'll learn kind of lessons within side of lessons as we walk through this. Now, the first character quality that we're taking a look at today is that Joseph was a good man. Now, the Bible uses the word in verse 19. It says that he was a just man and he was unwilling to put her to shame. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that word just, we don't use that a lot in our culture today, do we? We don't think about someone who we view as having a good high moral character. We don't view someone who we know of as you know, a person who is righteous and good. We don't often use the word just to describe them today. And so I've kind of like summarized that whole thing by essentially saying that Joseph was good. But I want you to see that there was a foundation laid in Joseph's life that kind of led him to being this just or good person. He was a man who was obedient. We'll take a look at that in a moment. He, he had goodness, he had righteousness, he was moral, but most of all, he was a man who was very serious about following God's law. He was relentless about following God's law. And you see, that laid the foundation for his goodness. His commitment to following God's way was the thing that made him a good person. See, following God's plans produces good character. We're told that like there are certain things that we do that will produce good character or certain things that we don't do that will produce good character. The world tells us and even church sometimes tells us that there are these things that we should do, these behaviors that we should have that leads us to being moral people. But church, I wanna tell you, it's actually the other way around. It's actually following God's ways that lead us to being people who are good, which ultimately produces 
the behavior that reflects God's laws and that good moral character. And so following God's plans is what produces good character. And Joseph was the epitome of someone who followed God's plans. He was a good man. But Joseph was in a bad spot. He was in a bad spot. Now, I realize that this is like not the popular Christmas story that most of you talk about, that we hear, that we maybe even want to hear. But have you ever thought for a second about the things that transpired in Matthew chapter one from Joseph's perspective. I want you to consider for a moment that he deeply loved Mary. And I think you'll see that as we walk through the story. He was committed to the one that he was engaged to. He had a fiance that he intended to marry and he was serious about it. And all of a sudden in verse 19, we're faced with this idea that she was found to be with child. Putting this in kind of today's like world, think about for a moment if you're engaged to someone and all of a sudden things come up that lead you to hear and believe the truth that your fiance is pregnant and you know that, that shouldn't be the case and I'll just put it that way today. Like imagine what Joseph was going through in that time. I heard one pastor say, imagine the news as he found out about it through the grapevine that the one that he loved was pregnant with someone else's child. It would have put Joseph in a terrible spot. And this man who was a good moral man was faced with a difficult circumstances. I, I can think of three things that were forced upon him with this news. First of all, he, he had difficult personal circumstances because he found out that the one that he was engaged to was pregnant. How would he explain this? What ridicule, ridicule would he face? How much embarrassment would he have to deal with? You see, in the Jewish culture, things worked a little bit differently. The engagement was the bigger deal than the wedding. Now, I ask you today, what's a bigger deal in our culture? Is it the engagement or is it the wedding? You can answer, by the way. The wedding, yeah. In the last service, all the ladies were like, the wedding! They like answered quickly and loudly. They were like, the wedding is, the wedding is, the wedding is. It's a big deal in our culture, right? But in that day, in the Jewish culture, the engagement was vitally important. It was the engagement first, it was the wedding feast second, and then the wedding ceremony was kind of a distant third in terms of the importance. I think we should change things around, don't you? <laughs> like it was serious. When you, when you were betrothed, when you were engaged, it was as if you were married. And, and in many cases, there was a contractual transaction because of the engagement, a dowry might have been involved, right? In the, in the old custom of the Jewish day, it, it was transactional, but it essentially joined a husband and a wife together. That engagement was the same as marriage in terms of the long-term purpose of the marriage. And Joseph hears that the one that he's engaged to is now pregnant. He must have faced, the second thing is difficult emotional circumstances. He, he must have had some pain. He must have felt betrayed. He, he might have thought, oh my goodness, the ridicule that's going to come upon me and the pain that he must have faced emotionally must have been huge in the moment when he heard about this. 
But not only did he have difficult personal circumstances and difficult emotional circumstances, but he was also, this good man was faced with a difficult moral choice. He was faced with a a terribly difficult moral choice. Because Joseph, being someone who was serious about God's law, was prohibited now, knowing that Mary was pregnant with someone else's child, from his viewpoint, maybe not knowing the whole story yet, from his viewpoint, he was prohibited from now marrying her. He was forced to divorce her, and that could happen in two ways. He could either divorce her publicly, through through a public trial, that would have protected him, and it would have protected his rights, but it would have brought ridicule and shame on her. Or the second thing that he could have done is he could have divorced her quietly without a public trial, and he could have kept her rights and her view and who she was in the forefront of his mind. And he chose, the Bible tells us in Matthew 1.19, that he had decided that he was going to go the second route, potentially putting him in a place where he would have received the shame and the ridicule, but it would have protected her. Take a look at Matthew 1.19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just and unwilling, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph chose to protect Mary, risking his own reputation. Joseph chose to protect Mary, risking his own rights. Joseph chose to protect Mary, risking his own entitlement. Joseph chose to protect Mary, risking his own ego. And it points out the second character quality, and that is is that Joseph was merciful. Joseph chose the route of mercy. Joseph, it says, had decided that he was going to, prior to their marriage, their official marriage, he had decided that he was going to quietly divorce Mary and protect her. And we get a glimpse, I think, here into part of the reason why God chose him to be the earthly father of the Savior. is because God knew that Jesus was going to work with great mercy and grace, and he wanted to choose someone who would do the same. I love that about Joseph. We mentioned this verse last week, but Proverbs eleven seventeen says, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. I suggest to you that Joseph wasn't thinking about himself at all. He had Mary's, Mary's best in the forefront of his mind. And he was a merciful, merciful man. But then I love the way the story continues. Matthew chapter one, verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, hang on just a second. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's place for a moment. He was engaged. He finds out maybe through the grapevine that Mary is you know, with child, that she's pregnant and it's not his child, right? So then he, he's, as he's kind of mulling these things over, already having decided that he would do the right thing for Mary and maybe not the right thing for him, he, he, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. <laughs> if I were Joseph at this point in time, I'd be going, uh, yeah, that ship has already sailed. <laughs> Do not fear 
to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, part of me thinks that Joseph was probably like, oh, oh man, I'm so glad, as scared as I am, I'm so glad that that's the story. But then look at what the angel says next in verse 21. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph's like, uh, what? <laughs> really? So I'm the guy? She's the one that you're using? Because he would have known the story of the Messiah. He would have known what God was going to do. But in this moment, the, the, the angel gives Joseph a third option, and that third option is to marry Mary. <laughs> Violating the Old Testament law from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Like Joseph is given permission from God's messenger to go against what the law says. You remember the first part of Joseph's story about him being a moral man, and that morality came from his adherence and faithfulness to the law, and this angel is telling him, no, it's okay, don't be afraid in this moment to break that. And it could have only been a messenger, a supernatural messenger from God that would have caused Joseph to understand the righteousness in doing that. It could have only been a messenger from God. It couldn't have been a friend that came to him and said, just marry her, because he would have thought that would have been giving in to violating God's law. But God knew that. God knew that. Matthew 1, and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This angel was essentially looking at Joseph saying, I know that it goes against what the Old Testament law says, but in this moment, God's future work of redemption took priority over God's already established law. And isn't that a great picture of what Jesus was coming to do? He was coming to bring the law to completion. He was coming to make this all right. He was coming to be that perfect Lamb of God, as we're going to be talking about next week. Joseph, I think, now even had a bigger dilemma. He had this third choice of marrying Mary, like the angel said. But that would have had to demonstrate great trust in God's word. It would have had to demonstrate that um, he really trusted that God was speaking to him in this dream. It would have been remarkably risky culturally, maybe professionally, personally, and even spiritually for Joseph to follow God in obedience, but he did. He did, and we see it in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and so he was married. And in this moment, we see the fact that Joseph, or the quality that Joseph was obedient. Joseph was a good man, Joseph was a merciful man, but Joseph was obedient to God. He obeyed God when he was called to. And I want to say to you today that some of you um, may be called to do something for God. And it may require great faith. And it may put you at risk. 
It might be doing something great for him in your community. It might be doing something great for him around the world. It might be doing something great for him right in your own home. It might be doing something great for him, um, students in your schools or with a friend. It might be confessing a sin that you're desperately afraid to confess. It might be putting yourself out there and sharing with someone that you know has lost the story, the real story of Christmas. And God may call you to that thing that's incredibly risky. And Joseph shows that God blesses obedience. Man, I wish I had known that when I was 16 years old and God was clearly calling me to the ministry. And I took 10 years and said, no, God, I don't want to do that. I had people and things in my life that were turning my head around the other way. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And when I was 26 years old, I talked to my mentor, Jeff, and I said, I'm miserable. And I know why. I'm miserable, and I know why. Because I wasn't willing to do the risky thing at that time in my life. And I pray that we as a church, we as God's people, will do what's risky, that we'll fall in obedience when he calls us to do that thing that may cause us great risk. And then I love verse 25. We almost pass over this, birth, uh, this, this verse because it's the birth of Jesus. But I want you to catch this in verse 25. Matthew says, and I have to read 24 with it. It just makes more sense. When Joseph, verse 24, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And all of a sudden, you guys just got real uncomfortable because you know where I'm going with this, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I know it's Sunday morning, it's Christmas season. But the did not know her until she had given a son means what you think it means. They were engaged. They were now married. But they didn't complete the marriage, we'll say, on a Sunday morning in church until she had given birth. And in that act of obedience, Joseph showed his selflessness. He showed his honor to his wife. He showed his honor to God. But he also demonstrated that he was selfless. He demonstrated that he was selfless. And so Joseph was this man. That was, he was a good man. He was a merciful man. He was an obedient man. He was a selfless man. And church, I want to tell you today that I think the gift that we can learn from Joseph to give away lavishly to others during this Christmas season and in our lives is humility. It's humility. I heard a pastor once say that humility, the good definition of humility is the absence of of the desire to impose one's will. Love that definition, don't you? Humility is the absence of the desire to impose one's will. Think about if Joseph had not had any humility. He would have made a spectacle of Mary. He would have decided to divorce her publicly, shame her, ridicule her. He certainly wouldn't have been picked by God to be the son of the world. God would have done it another way because God is God and God is in charge and God is sovereign. But Joseph wouldn't have been the man chosen because God is looking for humility. 
His good character, his merciful decision, his obedience to God, his selflessness in the marriage showed his genuine humility. And church, the greatest opportunity that we have to show humility may come like Joseph when we are faced with a choice between protecting our own interests or protecting the interests of someone else. When we choose to forego our rights, when we choose to, to put our ego and our entitlement and our opinion and our desires and our wants, when we choose to put those down to protect someone else, that's when we lavishly give the gift of humility. And God is still looking for humble servants to do his work. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. He says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God was ready to usher himself onto the human scene. And he knew from the beginning of time what he would do, but he was looking for a humble servant. And he found it in a carpenter. He found it in this man who was willing to risk everything about himself for the good of Mary not realizing that in doing that, he was risking everything about himself for the good of God as well. I love the story of Joseph in the redemptive work of God sending Jesus to this world. But you know what? It's not over. It's not over. He continues to look for humble servants. Will he look to you? Will he look to us? Will he find in us someone who is opposed to pride and willingly accepts humility? It was an important work that he chose to do through Joseph, don't you think? In fact, the Bible goes on, kind of the rest of the story that we're not telling today is the Bible goes on to, to indicate that Jesus, God's son, was shaped by this man more than anyone else on this earth. He was his earthly dad. He was his adopted, if you will, father. And he showed him the value of hard work. He showed him the, the blessing of adhering to God's laws. He demonstrated to Jesus what humility was like. The Bible gives us an indication that he probably passed away at an early age because Jesus passed on the responsibility of his mother Mary to John at Jesus' young age of 33 when he died. So my question to you today is how can you give the gift of humility this Christmas? Does the existence of entitlements and rights and ego and self-preservation, that's mine, does it exist so much in you that you can't humble yourself for someone else? Happens to me all the time happens to me all the time. I have ego and I have self-preservation and I don't want to risk myself for the sake of another. But when I do, God blesses it because that's what he does. Until the last service, he often gives me, as I mentioned quite often, 
on the week before, the week after I'm preaching on something, he often gives me a little taste of that. And my Georgia Bulldogs lost a really bad game last night. And my wife is an LSU Tiger. And I think I was barking at her throughout the week. Yeah, it, it was bad yesterday. But in all seriousness, there are so many times when I choose myself over others. That's what, not what God wants. Church, God wants us to choose others over us every time. And he's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for humble servants to do that. How can you give the gift of humility this Christmas? What needs to be eliminated in your life to allow humility to flourish? Because I've found that it's not an on-off switch with humility. There are things in my life that breed humility, and there are things in my life that breed pride and selfishness. And if I'm honest, I know what they are. If I'm honest, I know the formula. I know what needs to be rooted out, and I know what needs to be planted, and I know what needs to be fertilized, and I know what needs not to be fertilized, and I know what needs to be watered, and I know what not what needs not to be watered to produce humility. In church, that's what we're called to do. Is find those places, find those things in our life that prevent us from being his humble servant and eliminate them from our lives. As I mentioned last week, as we wanted to demonstrate as a church these different qualities that we're talking about throughout this Christmas season to lavishly give to the world, we're giving from a financial standpoint to the world. Last week, we uh, announced that we were setting $2,500 aside to begin in English as a second language over in our community center after January. I'm so excited about that. But over the course of these next uh, three weeks, it, you're going to meet different people who represent some of our partners. And today, I want to ask Jeanette Davis to come on up here on stage. Now, Jeanette and Mike have been a part of our church since, 2000, uh, since 2012, I believe. Um, right after we moved in here, Mike has served as one of our elders. And Jeanette is our coordinator and our connection with a great organization in this community called Backpack Buddies. And why don't you give a round of applause to Jeanette this morning. Jeanette, you serve and, and you help Backpack Buddies. And most of our people probably know a little bit about Backpack Buddies, but tell us if we don't maybe know what they do or the extent of what they do. Tell us what they do. Tell us how they serve the community and how we as a church have, have been a part of helping them out. Okay, so uh, Backpack Buddies is a program that falls under the Hunger Coalition of the Low Country, and we provide bags of food every Friday to students in the three elementary schools who've been identified by the social workers. And we also place bags of food at the um, middle and high schools in the nurses and social workers' offices, and if a teacher or coach sees a student who they know might need some extra food or um, help with nutrition, they can send the student to go pick up a bag of food. It's a fantastic ministry um, that we've supported for a long time as a church. And um, actually, you guys are entering your 10th year. Backpack Buddies is entering their 10th year in 2020, correct? This school year is our 10-year anniversary. This school year is your 10-year anniversary. Yeah. So that's an yeah. amazing thing that they've been doing that yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. for 10 years. And it doesn't help with just uh, nutrition and food. Right. Well, um, studies show that if a student or a child is hungry, it can definitely negatively impact their learning in school. So um, we have actually gotten 
uh, feedback from the teachers, social workers, and parents that these students who we're helping have had marked improvement in their schoolwork. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. incredible, isn't it? We see it, we see it with our partner uh, in Africa, No Hungry Children, and you see it almost, it's across the board when you help, when you help especially students um, be fed, that it improves their ability to learn as well. And so um, we're helping with Backpack Buddies, I love it. And you guys um, pack the backpacks uh, once a month over in the community center. You saw some pictures of that, I believe. Um, our, our volunteers drive back and forth. It's, it's just Absolutely. an amazing organization delivering those backpacks with food. Over, I think it's over 50% of our Hilton Head Islands kids are in need is that that's correct? right in the, in the public schools over 50 percent are on the free of a reduced lunch program so it's amazing so it definitely is is a great way to help and and so this christmas we wanted to we wanted to demonstrate what we're we're preaching um as a church and so we um picked uh, we give a significant amount to our global partners and we give maybe a little bit less of an amount each year to our local partners because there's so many of them um, we have 14 i think that we work with and uh but we chose uh three different partners in addition to our esl program to bless this year because when you give to hilton Head island community church 10 cents of every dollar goes is, is set aside for local and global missions and god's blessed us this year and so we wanted to give a little bit away and so um, i'm pleased to pre uh, present to you today this certificate for backpack buddies for five thousand dollars from hilton head island community church <laughs> that was great go ahead i'm sorry which <laughs> the reason Jeanette's laughing is is because in the first service she literally didn't know that and there was genuine surprise. I was shocked. How do you think she did this one? It's pretty gift. good, right? Yeah, yeah. it's so. amazing. And um, I did want to share that uh, Backpack Buddies is an all-volunteer-led program, so we don't have any administrative costs. So 100% of this money will go to buy food for hungry students. That's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, thank, you. thank all thank of you. you. Thanks, Jeanette, yeah. Mike, and um, I'm just so thankful for you. And I, I, I love when, when they pack the backpacks, there's a bunch of volunteers and it is so well organized. It's great, you do a great job. Thank you so much, thank Jeanette, you. appreciate thank it very much. Thank you. Church, it's a, that's a great picture. It's the kind of church that I've always dreamed for us to become. But we also are called to do this individually. We're called to do it in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. How can you, how can I, how can we humble ourselves this Christmas to lavishly give gift of generosity, the gift of communicating this great message, the gift of kindness, the gift of mercy? How can we do that for the people in our lives this year? My prayers is that we as a church would reverse the to me, for me trend, and that we would reach out and to be for others, not only this Christmas, but in our lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me, that you've given us as a church to make an impact in our community. I thank you for Backpack Buddies and the, the Hunger Coalition, the great work that they do in our, in our community. And God, I thank you for this man, Joseph, this man who already had an ounce of humility and it grew because of his obedience to you, because of his goodness and his obedience and faithfulness to your commands and your way of living. 
And God, I thank you that he was merciful. Oh, thank you that in that moment, he decided to show mercy. God, I thank you so much that he was a man who understood what you were doing. And yes, there might've been a moment or two of fear. There might've might been a moment or two of wondering what is happening here. But at the end of the day, God, you were raising up a man who was gonna be so humble. He was gonna demonstrate so much self-sacrifice that he was willing to be used by you to be the father, the earthly father of the one who would come to earth to die for our sins. God, I thank you so much for Joseph. May we be more like him. May we show the kindness that Ruth showed in a moment. May we be humble servants. And God, may you use us in the continuing story of redemption in our age, in our culture, and in our world. Father, right now, I just feel compelled to pray for anyone who may be listening online, who may be in this room, who've never tapped into your redemptive story, who may have never decided that they were gonna trust you, Jesus, to be their savior. You know, God's whole story that we celebrate this Christmas season is, is really an amazing one because when sin entered the world in the beginning of the story of God and man, it entered forever and it separated us from God. But God chose to send his son, Jesus. It's one we sing about, the one we decorate trees for and the one that we celebrate this time of year. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And many of us in this room, many of you who are listening have accepted him, but maybe some of you haven't. And I wanna give you the opportunity right now, just in this prayerful moment with every head bowed and every eye closed to make your own decision to choose to trust Jesus to be your savior. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he rose again from the dead, that we will be saved. And so today I'm gonna to pray a prayer out loud. And if you're in this place, if you're listening to my voice and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I pray that you would right now by praying this prayer, just quietly, just silently, but in a meaningful way to God right now. It goes like this. God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising again three days later. And right now, I admit that I have sin and things that separate me from you. And right now, I choose to receive you, Jesus, to be my savior. I trust in you today. Help me now to live for you. If you prayed that prayer just with every head bowed and every eye closed in the quietness of this room, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, would you just look up at me and raise your hand? I will not embarrass you, I promise. Awesome. Anyone else? Just keep them up for a moment. Awesome. 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 Father, I pray for these who have their hands raised right now. God, I pray that you would help them to, to get involved and God, finding out what it means to be a Christ follower and to follow you. And God, I pray that you would help them even today to get connected with people that will encourage their newfound faith. 
God, I thank you that today their eternity was changed. It was changed from hell to heaven, from darkness to light. And God, they set, because of their faith in you, they set their course forever. And we praise you and we thank you for that. You can put your hands down. And God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this season. God, may we do everything that we can to honor you. May we do everything that we can to lavishly give back to the people around us. And we can't wait to watch what you'll do as a result. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.